everyone and thanks for joining the Doc Talk podcast. Welcome to episode 6 of Doc Talk. Joining me today as always is my wonderful colleague and friend Captain Jeff Monroe with the International Association of Maritime and Port Executives. Well, thank you Amy for the very nice welcome. It's always a pleasure to do these. I look forward to these because I get to ramble on about <laughs> things that irritate me on a regular basis. So, uh and uh, it's always it's always a pleasure to do it with somebody who I think in this country knows more about the Inland Rivers than anybody I've ever seen. Uh, it's Are you doing very... a podcast with somebody else today? <laughs> kidding. Totally kidding. <laughs> Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Here at Inland Rivers Ports and Terminals, we are so thrilled to help our members grow and succeed and help their businesses be you know, the best that they can be for the sake of their communities, for the sake of their workforce, and for the sake of the supply chain. And that's what it's all about for us is freight and the supply chain. So what I want to ask you about today, Jeff, is we've been experiencing some low water issues and maybe some drought impacts in certain areas. Give us your thoughts on the drought and does that make us unreliable? Oh, I don't think it makes us unreliable at all. Um, we've been dealing with drought issues and low and high water issues for a long time, you know, and certainly I think on the, on the international side, the biggest uh, single impact has been what's happening in the Panama Canal. They have low water issues there right now, and they've had to reduce their draft uh, down to about 47 and a half feet uh, as of this recording. But, you know, they're, they're constantly adjusting that because there's not enough water in the canal system that, kind of get them through. Now that creates delays. It obviously, it also reduces the amount of cargo uh, that each of these vessels are gonna carry. Uh, but I think in the long run that we have seen such a softening right now of the amount of cargo moving in internationally. Uh, and it's fundamentally because, uh, you know, everybody, all the retailers have built up a great deal of commodities. You know, we, you and I have talked about just in time versus just in case. And I think there's been a, a great deal of commodity buildup at the, at the ports. So that's gonna keep imports soft for a fair amount of time now, I think. Oh, agreed, for sure. And again, like you said, this is drought and low water is nothing new for us in the shipping and maritime world, right? Um, as far back as we can remember, our, our, our country has used the river system for, for transportation. Right, so we are accustomed to the rise and fall, the fluctuation of of river levels, and we've been able to um, remain reliable and sustainable for so many years. Definitely strengthening communications, right? Strengthening the way that we're communicating with each other, and is and the way that the the operators and maintainers of the river system are communicating with those who use us for transportation, of course, can always be strengthened, can always be better. And so we've got a couple of things that we're working on at the association to strengthen those communications. First off, we monitor all of the communications coming out of the national headquarters of the Army Corps, 
all of the districts, all of the reaction committees, and of course, through the Coast Guard. And then we post that to our website. We push that through a notification through our, our mobile app. And then we email uh, on Mondays, every Monday, just kind of a recap of all of the communications that have come out. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the things that, you know, of course, I hear from people all the time is information overload. You know, there are so many places that you can go for data and stuff like that. Anything that your association and our association can do to sort of uh, simplify that, you know, to send out paramount issues. You know, we do a, the weekly uh, port notes. And if something uh, emerging comes up, we'll send out something called flash traffic. But, you know, I find that with all the executives and the managers that we get an opportunity to train, that uh, a lot of them just don't have the time. They're just trying to keep up with, you know, the local politics to local issues and stuff like that. A lot of them don't have the time to access information. So anything that we can do as associations to make that more effective. And that's why we need to hear from our members. You know, uh, we've got 2,400 alumni and, you know, 4,000 people on our database list. Um, and, you know, we need to know what it is that you need to do. You know, what, you, what do you need to work with? Absolutely. How can we help you help us, right? Help us help you rather, right? So just being in constant contact with our members. I know that your association is working diligently at that, like you said, with your port notes, but then with your classes that you're offering as well. So I appreciate, go ahead. Yeah, we, we had a great milestone. I, I'm very excited about this. You know, um, we had taught a number of programs in Canada before COVID and then um, um, they shut shut down the borders, you know, due to COVID and everything like that. So we had our first class in uh, Halifax, sponsored by the Halifax Port Authority. And it was great. Uh, I, I had a great time because I had to learn to speak Canadian, eh? You know, but uh, for the most part, uh, it was a fabulous class. And what was, I think, very interesting about it, it's intriguing to see how many new people are coming into our industry. Um, there are young people like yourself, uh, not old duffers like me, you know, and I think that uh, they're eager to learn, they're hungry to learn, and, uh, you know, the, the opportunities seem to be picking up quite a bit because a lot of the older generation is retiring. But in many cases, they really don't. One of the things I see that I, I saw with the classes, particularly in the session where we're dealing with business development and, and information access, was that a lot of folks really don't know how, mon, how many resources there are out there, how much information is out there. Uh, but one thing I was extremely pleased to see was, you know, we do a project at the end of every class was the collaboration. And, you know, I do it on two things. They have to hit some key points, but I also want to see how well everybody plays in the sandbox. And it was very good to hear people working with each other, listening to each other, which is the paramount issue, because we all have expertise and data to share. Um, and, uh, you know, as I, I you know, I, I felt bad last session when you and I were uh, talking, you were in right in the middle of making a point and I kind of shut you down because we were kind of running out of time for which I, I deeply apologize. Um, but, you know, the value of what we bring to the table, but the greater value in listening to each other is so paramount. So each of us around that table, we gather information from different places and sharing it, which is the point I think you're trying to make here, Amy, sharing that information with others is important and good leaders understand collaboration. We used to have a sign in our conference room that I stole from Chinbro, which said, 
you know, none of us in this room is smarter than all of us together. And what a key point that is. That's absolutely right. So I want to get back to drought and show this drought map that we have, because if you show the United States and where our, our drought forecast lies, right? And then we consider, like you said, the Panama Canal um, is experiencing a little bit of low water itself. What can we do, right? To your message, we're stronger together. So what can we as an industry do? There are certain areas of the country, say in South Dakota, that may be looking at a water grab, you know, pulling the water from the Missouri River to supply water at this location, right? We as an industry need to come together and say 65% of the water in the Mississippi is supplied by the Missouri River. So if we start allowing individual states to start grabbing water from our sole source, right? Our primary source, not our soul, but our primary source, that can be detrimental to the to the tributaries, the Mississippi and all of the tributaries. So we as an industry need to come together and say, that is not what's best for our country. Well, I think it goes back to the whole aspect of what we've talked about in the past of having a national policy in regards to transportation, because, you know, I don't think that when people think about transportation, they think about tactical linkages and stuff like that. I don't think anybody thinks about the aspect of what the impacts of of drought or water. I, I certainly know that NOAA, for example, tracks, uh, you know, all the devastation and everything and how much it costs, but I don't think that people really think about that. Now, all that being said, to go back to answer your initial question, you know, is it making our system unreliable? And the answer to that is no. Uh, and it's fundamentally because um, we are a low cost in moving and the transportation of all types of commodities and cargoes. So people are willing in many cases to uh, trade off time for cost uh, as long as there's a some sort of level of reliability where we're going to see that, you know, cargo eventually arrive and get picked up. Uh, but, you know, we adapt constantly. Um, we adapted to the congestion on the West Coast. We adapted to, you know, hurricanes when Katrina hit, when Sandy hit, the industry, you know, relocated cargo and moved things back and forth. So I think, uh, you know, the, the bottom line here is that we're we're pretty flexible industry. Um, and it's because we understand that we're always going to have linkage issues and we're going to always have these. You deal with it every year. Well, not just low cost, but diverse, right? Let's bring diversity into this conversation. So many of the ports, and I don't have a national study to start spouting stats here, but I'll say I think that about 95% of our ports offer river road and, and rail. They are multimodal transportation hubs. If you're experiencing a water issue or a draft issue um, in regards to the river transportation, your port and your terminal pro professionals can help you move that freight over to river, I'm sorry, rail or roadway if needed to support your supply chain. So you're never in this alone. You're always going to have um, in 95% of the case, a multimodal option to keep your supply chain strong. Yeah, and I think it really involves a lot of pre-planning. You know, we, we begin planning the minute uh, crisis hits, and it really is something that we need to think about. What's our alternatives? You know, um, the uh, government and uh, NOAA, in conjunction with the Gulf Coast Ports and Association and stuff, put out a very good um, framework, a sort of a self-assessment for ports, which is very, very useful. Um, it's readily available on the, on uh, download, 
And I think that one of the things it talks about is, you know, what alternatives do you have if we have flooding, if we have low water, you know, what are the transportation alternatives? And uh, I think in the long run, you know, even though the rail and the trucking and everything, most people have long-term contracts and agreements with moving cargo. Uh, I think that they try to be as flexible as possible as well. Absolutely. Um, I, so let's, and so let's talk about alternatives, right? Because right now I think we're facing a bit of an issue over on the West Coast. Am I wrong? No, that's true. And, you know, it's kind of an interesting situation because there's this presumption that the ocean carriers are flush with cash, right? And of course, we've seen various articles that have come out uh, as a result of that saying that, oh yeah, they got all this money. But what a lot of people have not looked at is the flip side of this thing. Um, Pre-COVID, the rates were very low. COVID hit, the rates went way up because of the market demand, right? Now, post-COVID, they're back down again and they've stabilized $1,700, $1,900 on the worldwide container index. The reality in all of this is that most of these lines have made commitments to building new ships, and those ships are coming off the ways right now. Um, there's an overcapacity. There's no question about that. You know, uh, over 20% of the ships, uh, I'm sorry, not 20%, but 4% of the world container fleet right now is an anchor off of Singapore, you know, uh, and so the reality is, is that they're, they're doing maintenance and other things. But that money is already being spent on new tonnage. And that's creating new opportunities for us because even though we keep hearing about the 24,000 TEU ships, it's really the largest number of ships being built right now are under 16,000 TEUs, which is opening new opportunities for ports right now, you know, where they didn't have those opportunities. So they had only limited opportunities. So, you know, for the for folks to sit there and say, well, these guys get a lot of money, you know, so let's let's go on strike or let's do this or let's do that. You know, this is very counterproductive. Um, you know, the whole disruption on the West Coast is driving cargo to the East Coast. And the East Coast is sitting there going like, yeah, come on, bring it on. Yep. And now the Canadians, right, uh, Canadian ILWU have, have voted to support the strike and, and may go on strike in places like Prince Rupert and Vancouver, right? And Halifax is sitting there going like, yeah, come on, bring it on. Savannah, <laughs> bring it on. Norfolk, bring it on. You know, so well, don't leave out the Gulf ports here, right? No, so the no, ports that, in the Gulf Coast or in the Gulf of Mexico could would would love to to welcome this cargo. So if there is this issue out here in the West Coast, bring it on. <laughs> We're ready. Yeah, and I'm seeing also too. I think a lot of the Gulf Coast ports. You know, the biggest issue right now the Gulf Coast ports are facing is dredging. You know, trying to get down from 35 feet to 40, 42 feet, something like that. But I'm seeing a lot of linkages between you know some of the ports. The river ports and the Gulf Coast, places like Bienville, uh, Gulfport, Mississippi, obviously, uh, Pascagoula, Pensacola, you know, those ports are all thinking way ahead about, you know, how do we how do we take advantage of connections with cargo and stuff? So, um, you know, we as an industry adapt fairly quickly uh, and that's good, no matter what issues we're facing, you know, whether it's hurricanes or hemicanes, you know, or anything like that, you know, we, we adapt pretty well. Uh, and the industry itself is fairly flexible and adaptable, but we really have to think ahead in many cases about what happens if this happens. And that's the key thing that I think is oftentimes lacking. Um, we're used to short time planning. We really need to think longer term. We need, to, we have to think about the linkages and we have to think about the partnerships.
But like you said, we are flexible. So, you know, should something happen on the West Coast, there are tons of IRPT members in the Gulf Coast that a long-term contract isn't necessarily needed in order for one of these ships to now call on the Gulf Coast. And I think that's a misconception in our industry. And I'm glad that we have the platform, you know, especially here to talk about that. But just as we've had the the kind of the drought impact this year, there are so many years where we might have just the opposite, which is flooding, right? And so preparing for, you said you'd mentioned, you know, a lot of times we're planning in the midst of it, right? But it starts with the proper preparation in anticipation of that event happening. And I'm so excited to tell you, Jeff, that we have a new member within IRPT's association called Portadam. And so what Portadam provides is this like inflatable flood protection system that can be deployed, you know, in, in really a, a very, what I would consider a small amount of time um, to to prevent against flooding damages. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, there's several great companies out there that do that. Aquafence does that similar. There's smaller companies. You know, there've been all sorts of different things that people have tried. But I also, I also see what, from the infrastructure standpoint, where people are trying to do in regards to, you know, dealing with docks with anticipation of uh, sea level rise. Um, and of course, you know, I, I debate with people about uh, sea level rise all the time, and I'm sure I'm going to get some comments about that, and I welcome this. Um, <laughs> I think that there's no question that, uh, you know, what we put into the air contributes, I think, to not only the quality of the air, but, you know, some aspect of uh, warming of the atmosphere. But I also believe that in many cases, um, you know, this is a natural phenomenon. If you track the aspect of what goes on, you know, with the earth over the last, you know, several centuries, you'll see that these fluctuations, you know, I don't know if I've ever mentioned it, but I, I, I'm always paying attention to what's going on with the magnetic pole. I have no idea why, you know, but the magnetic pole used to be up in Canada. Well, now it's moved over toward Russia, which tells me that the earth is wobbling a bit, right? Oh, you know, it's, a, it's an oblate spheroid. So it's, it's like a shape like an egg to a certain extent. So I think some of this is naturally, you know, associated with just the normal movement of the earth. All that being said, we are facing the changes in climate. We are seeing these differences. And the question is, how innovative can we be? We don't have billions of dollars to raise peers. We don't have that money available. Well, I'm so excited uh, to tell our listeners that we have planned um, one of our next episodes a, an innovative technology session where, you know, we'll talk about some of these new and innovative products and ideas and designs um, that have, have been built, you know, as a concept to, you know, combat some of these fluctuations and rise and fall issues of the waterway itself. So thank you for, for bringing that up. But I also wanna encourage all of our listeners and our watchers for those that might be watching, you know, to flood Captain Monroe's inbox, if you will, <laughs> flood his inbox with all of those comments that you may have on the magnetic pole and climate change. Um, but we do have an inbox. We'd love to hear from our listeners if we're if there's a topic in general that you'd like for us to hit on. We'd be pleased to 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 toss it out. Well, I have to tell you that uh, I'm uh, next uh, session. Uh, when we film in July, 
uh, we'll be talking to uh, one of the senior managers at uh, the Port of Halifax, at the Halifax Port Authority, talk about Canadian issues. You know, and we think we have issues down here. You know, you get right down to it. I, we were up there in, in Halifax in the midst of all these fires and everything, uh, and, and both in what we saw in Quebec, as well as it's been going on going in BC, but in uh, Southwest Nova Scotia, you know, in and around Halifax, a lot of people lost their homes and stuff. So the reality is, is that there's no question that there's a lot of things that we need to start contending with. Um, and how do you apply technology innovatively? Um, we were talking with a port one time who was looking to raise all their docks up three or four feet, which was gonna cost hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and they came up with an idea that, well, instead of raising the docks, let's, let's raise the storage, right? So they built uh, concrete um, slabs basically that lift all the containers up and the containers bolt onto them and stuff, just like you would in a yard, but they're way up over the ground, you know, so that, you know, water can flood in and get underneath it and stuff like that. But as I said, the industry tends to adapt very quickly with a lot of this stuff. And if we know there's something coming, like we knew in New Orleans with Katrina, if we know there's something coming, the industry will change the way it does things. It'll move things to other locations. Absolutely. And so in talking about innovative technology, just uh, two weeks ago, IRPT held our Southeast Rivers Basin meeting uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, and one of the Army Corps districts that attended that had told us at that meeting that the Army Corps was putting a greater emphasis on research and development, kind of using those innovative technologies to make the limited funds last a lot longer um, than, than what we're typically used to seeing. And I gotta tell you, I was so excited to hear him say that. So many IRPT members like, you know, Piomedic by Quake Wrap, um, you know, they're looking and, and sustainable lumber solutions <clears throat> by Tangent. I mean, they're looking at some of these innovative applications for the longevity of the limited resources. So I'm really excited to hear that the core is actually exploring, uh, utilizing some of these innovative applications. Yeah, and I think it's it's making it practical uh, for us to actually use a lot of these things. You know, there's a lot of good ideas that come up and down and stuff, and I've watched this over the years, uh, different thoughts and, uh, that have come up from, you know, innovative people. The question now becomes, you know, how is it gonna effectively apply in the industry? You know, look at fuel, for example. You know, look at a great discussion we're having about all of that, you know. First it was, you know, ultra low sulfur fuels, right? Then it was, you know, well, let's go to scrubbers instead. And then it was, well, let's think about hydrogen and let's think about LNG and let's think about ammonia, you know? So, I mean, it keeps going on in all these different places and everything. Uh, and I think that this is great, but it has to be practical and it has to be effective and it has to be cost effective as well. And one of the things I would love to hear from what, what people are doing in different ports. So, you know, one of the things that creates a great deal of, of heating of the atmosphere is all of the pavement we lay down, right? You know, if you, anytime you go to a community, a city and stuff like that, you know, it's a lot hotter in those, because, you know, the earth is heated by solar radiation, you know, and it's re-reflected back up and that's what really heats the atmosphere. So what innovative technologies have people come up with that, you know, are, are emitting lower amounts of uh, heat from paved areas or semi-paved area or different type of paved area. I think that is a lot more important to look at than how much how much methane a cow produces, you know, <laughs> or, what's, or what's the uh, impact in the atmosphere 
uh, of uh, drive-through cheeseburgers, you know, like they're talking about in California. So, you know, that to me makes a lot more sense. And that's what really we should be focused on. So I'm glad that you brought up the, the topic and subject of fuels, right? Because, you know, eight, 10 years ago, the buzzword around alternative fuels was, you know, CNG and LNG. And then, you know, we start talking about ammonia and hydro and wind. What's the buzzword of today, right? And so if you think about the capital investments that are needed in order to offer, you know, an alternative fuel, well, first of all, you have to start with market because you don't have the demand unless you, or you have to start with the demand because you don't have the market unless you have the demand, right? But in order for us as an industry to invest, and to spend the capital funds needed to build the infrastructure to offer a certain fuel like LNG, CNG, like hydropower, it's gonna take a huge demand, a market responding to that demand and so on and so forth. I think because we keep changing up the, the buzzword of the day, the buzz fuel of the day is, is actually counterproductive to where our country ultimately wants to be, which is diversifying the fuel source. Yep, I, I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, the question is what are the advantages and disadvantages of each one? You know, people like electric. Yeah, there's no no fumes for electric, you know, nothing heating the atmosphere, right? But you don't have the power with electric that you normally would with uh, standard diesel, right? And then, well, what about hydrogen? We want to get to zero emissions. Hydrogen is a great example of something that be working, but not too many manufacturers are producing it. So I think the reality is, is what a lot of people don't understand is we've come a long way, right? Our, your, you know, your tow boats on the river system, many of our ships and everything like that, we're not emitting anywhere near the amount of sulfur into the atmosphere as we did, right? And we're looking at the aspect of how do we reduce CO2 going into the I got the that atmosphere. one. If you, you want to reduce your emissions, what you do is use waterways transportation, right? I mean, I know this is such a, just like a, a, a dumb moment, right? Because we're so used to as an industry touting the, you know, emission benefits, the, um, the economic benefits of using, say, river transportation as opposed to rail or trucking. But honest to goodness, dear government, if you want to reduce the emissions, incentivize the shippers to start using the river for transportation more so than they are. Yeah, not only the rivers, but the coastal ports as well. You know, um, you know, marine highway project, you know, we have a great program through Marad, you know, in developing marine highway uh, designated projects and stuff. But we're still facing issues like, you know, OK, if you go to multiple ports, now you're dealing with harbor maintenance tax in multiple ports that reduces the cost of it. But, you know, we can't pave enough. We, we're, we're up here, particularly up here in the Northeast and stuff like that. You know, you make six lane highways, guess what? Right, they're filled up, right? Now everybody's talking. I, I was listening to a report this morning, right? About the this collapse of the I-95 in uh, Philadelphia. Oh, it's gonna have a, a major impact on the movement of cargo. It's gonna affect the entire economy of the United States and everything like that. Well. I don't think it's going to get that bad, but I will say one thing. If we were more focused on moving things by water, we would reduce emissions. We would reduce, you know, a lot of these issues. We'd make it cost more cost effective, right? Yeah. Is it as, is it as speedy? No, it's not. But as I say, shippers are willing to trade off time. So the reality in all of this, this is an underutilized system and we need to be much more innovative. 
And I'll go back to the same thing. Why isn't our Congress focused? Why isn't our policymakers? Why isn't our DOT focused on a policy that has widespread incentives and encouragement to move things by water and not not necessarily by truck, you know, or not necessarily by road, though they have their they have their advantages and disadvantages as well. But waterways, we move more cargo per ton per mile than any other methodology, and we do it must with less emissions than anybody else. We make sense. I think that should be the waterways uh, transportation news slogan. We just make sense. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Monroe, as always, it has been such a pleasure to talk with you today about some of these just hot topics and current events, challenges and opportunities to grow as an industry. Well, I, I appreciate that very much. And, you know, um, we, we talk about the issues constantly. The question is, I think, you know, we can just keep talking about issues. What I'd really like to start talking about is innovative ideas, solutions, opportunities, because I think our listeners, they're, most of them are in the port or the maritime business. What opportunities are there out there that we could take advantage of? How do we get this? How do we move, for example, uh, promote, you know, now that the Marine Highway Program has been expanded to Canada and into Mexico, how do we promote that? How do we what what's really the meaning behind the designated projects and stuff like that and who's doing innovative ideas and what what's going to happen and what's happening with cargo movement what happens if they go on strike you know and is that going to shift thing are we going to see those changes so i think in many cases we need to i'd like to get more focused on some of those issues uh in our future podcast but i'd also like to hear from those of you who spend the time listening to the podcast. I, I, I've said to people, I says, you know, some podcasts are great. You listen to it before, because you can't get to sleep and it guaranteed to put you to sleep. I hopefully ours aren't that way. Uh, but, I, uh, I would love to hear from our listeners about topics that they think are pertinent to our port industry, our maritime industry, to transportation in general, that we could deal with. Uh, and, uh, you know, we have, um, we have, we're on Spotify uh, we can do question and answer sessions on that, I guess, and, and some other technologies that are available to us, which go beyond my realm of understanding. Uh, but, uh, we have a great producer, which I'm very happy about, but, uh, I do want to say that I think that anytime we have an opportunity to discuss these topics, they're important. What I really want to do is I want to get some of our congressional staffers and stuff to start listening to these. So I think that's yeah. important. Absolutely. I agree. Well, sir, I will see you next time in the Northeast. We'll be in Portland, um, you know, filming with the, the Canadians, right? Okay. Yep. <laughs> All righty, sir. Thank you again for your expertise, your knowledge, your friendship. Appreciate it. Always a joy, Amy. Love to have it. And uh, I look forward to it every time. You take care and thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you.